Hello and welcome to a special Crosstown Shootout edition of Banner on the Parkway Dispatches. Today we'll be having a look at the recent history of the shootout as well as who could spring a surprise as this year's Karam Cantor. We'll wrap up with a quick look around the rest of the Big East. And that's what we've got coming for you on Banter on the Parkway. Hello. It's Crosstown Shootout Week, which means there's only one thing to talk about. That is Xavier taking on Cincinnati Saturday night at 5 o'clock at the Cintas. We're going to go over a little bit of the recent history as well as what to look for from both teams this year. Last year was a game to forget for Xavier. They were in the middle of a stretch where they were not playing their best basketball. They didn't start doing that till the end of the year. Xavier's coming off of a pretty convincing 21-point win over Ohio, but Ohio, frankly, wasn't very good last year, and neither was Xavier. Cincinnati won last year's matchup 62-47. to Xavier was led by Quentin Gooden, who scored 12 points. He was 4 or 5 inside the arc, but only 1 of 7 behind the arc. And in a story that has continued since that day, Xavier shot 5 of 25 from deep and was pretty much abysmal behind the arc for the entire game and turned the ball over too much, turning it over on 20.3% of their possessions. On the other side, Jaron Cumberland led Cincinnati with 19 points and an offensive rating of 124, as well as a lot of obnoxiousness. Cincinnati had control of this game pretty much the whole way through. There was not a single quarter of the game in which the Musketeers outscored Cincinnati by more than a point. That was They led 13-12 to 12 after 10 minutes. Cincinnati kicked it in after that, going on a 12-0 run in the first half and then a 13-2 run in the second half to put the game beyond doubt, at one point leading by 18. Xavier was never able to close that and lost. The last time Xavier beat Cincinnati was the year before when they rolled them 89-76 to behind 28 from Trayvon Blewett and 17 from Karim Cantor. That was the game in which Karim Cantor proved that Mick Cronin does not know how to scout very well. Najee Marshall was good in that game, as was Sean O'Mara. Quentin Gooden was once again excellent against the Bearcats and shot the ball much better this time. Two of seven inside the arc, but only missed one three-pointer and was six of seven from the line. So in the last two matchups, it's a clean split. Cincinnati fans will be keen to point out to you that they have won 47 of the matchups over Xavier, while Xavier has only won 32. Most of those took place back in a time when the rims were still made from wicker. I'm getting to be a little older, so in my lifetime there have been 38 matchups between Xavier and Cincinnati, and Xavier has won 22 of them. That means that since 1982, it has been Xavier who has had a significant, if not overwhelming, lead in the series. There have been close games, there have been blowouts, and there has been one massive brawl. But if you're looking to argue recent history with someone, it's obviously the Musketeers that have had control of it. Cincinnati has won two of the last three. Xavier will be looking to get back on even footing tomorrow. Looking at what the teams do well this year, Cincinnati is, of course, built on their defense. Inside the arc, they're 22nd best in the nation at keeping teams from scoring, and that could be a problem for Xavier because that's where Xavier prefers to do their scoring. The Bearcats can be had from behind the arc where teams are shooting 33% against them. That is only 190th in the nation to give you some idea of how poor three-point shooting has been nationwide this year. 
Of course, that does not play into a strength of Xavier's as the Musketeers are only shooting 27.8% behind the arc. What that could do is open up a sp space for Kiki Tandy. Tandy is 3 of 10 behind the arc in the two games he's played and has not been at all reluctant to shoot the ball. He's going to be in attack mode, assuming that he is able to play, which all indications are he will right now. Uh, that is, of course, based on his foot injury and the shot to the mouth that he took in the last game. But like I mentioned, he should be good to go, and if he is good to go, he's going to be getting his shots up. He's quick enough and effective enough that he'll get looks when he wants them. Bryce Moore could also do well. He's shooting 34% behind the arc and has found a knack for getting himself open to catch ball high opposite or on an opposite wing from one of Xavier's guards. He was 3 of 6 two games ago against Lipscomb, but only 0 of 2 against Green Bay. Thus far this year, indications would be that Moore runs a little bit hot and cold. Quentin Gooden is second on the team in three-point shooting percentage at 33% and has been warming up recently. Gooden seems to be a lot better when he has a moment to step into a shot. If Cincinnati collapses on the post and is allowing a penetrating pitch type shot or a rotation out of low post, Gooden will be more effective. In his last three games, he shot the ball extremely well from behind the arc, going 6 of 13. That includes the loss to Florida and then wins over Lipscomb and Green Bay. Cincinnati will allow looks from back there and will, like most Xavier opponents, be content to live and die with Xavier's three-point shooting. If Xavier can't get shots to go, one thing they can do to limit Cincinnati is keep them away from the free-throw line. If Cincinnati couldn't make free throws, which they can't, but they get to the line a lot and redeem themselves through volume, they have a hard time scoring. They turn the ball over a lot, and they don't shoot it particularly well from anywhere. Faced with Xavier's defense, which will be the second best they've faced this year, behind, of course, Ohio State, who's second in the nation, they're going to have significant trouble scoring the ball, one would assume. Their most efficient scorer this year is Keith Williams. He's been a spot-up three-point three shooter who's shooting 52.9% in a pretty limited 17 attempts from deep. Javen Cumberland has taken 55 three-pointers and is making 40% of them, making him by far the more effective of the Cumberlands as Jaron continues to struggle with an injury that has kept him in and out of games. Of Cincinnati's eight games, Jaron Cumberland has only appeared in six and only really played well once in a win over Drake. Even in that game, he only managed 18 minutes, but he was effective from the floor. In their most recent game against Vermont, Jaron Cumberland once again played 18 minutes, was 2 of 3 behind the arc, but only 1 of 5 inside it, and only managed an offensive rating of 89 thanks to his three turnovers. If Cumberland can't go, that greatly changes what Cincinnati is going to attempt to do on offense and will essentially force them to rely on Javen Cumberland and Keith Williams to shoot the ball from outside. Inside the arc, while Williams will also put the ball up a lot, but is much less effective. And Chris Vogt shoots very well, but has a much lower usage rate. That's our look at what's coming up in the Crosstown Shootout. Now we'll send you elsewhere to get a recap of what else you can look for this weekend. Hey everybody, it's Joel. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you don't need to be told that the shootout is just around the corner. Xavier's going to be hosting Cincinnati 5 o'clock on Saturday. And this is a game that I think is going to be won or lost at the four. 
if you look at Cincinnati's backcourt, obviously that's where their strength is. They've got the Cumberland twins back there. Uh, Coach Brannon for Cincinnati said that Jaron Cumberland's question questionable for this game. I would find that report questionable. I would be staggered if Cumberland didn't play. Um, and then on the inside, at the five, uh, they've got Chris Vogt, the big man who came over from Northern Kentucky with Brandon. He's been playing a lot of minutes. He's been staying out of foul trouble, doing a good job there. Uh, but down at the four, uh, they've got Trey Scott and then uh, Davenport's his backup, who basically can't go more than two or three minutes without picking up a foul. Uh, the way he fouls would embarrass Zach Fremantle. He's just 8.4 fouls per 40 minutes. Picks him up like it's his job. Xavier's man down there is Jason Carter. Uh, you guys might be aware of the fact that Jason Carter is off to a, a slow start to his Xavier career. But I think this shootout is going to be his Karim Cantor game. Xavier fans uh, obviously remember Karen Cantor as one of the top five Turkish-born players to ever come through the program. But at the start of his senior year, the only year he played for Xavier, he was actually scuffling at the beginning of the year before shootout time came around. He was averaging six points and 3.3 rebounds a game and had not made a three-point bucket yet. Um, but Xavier knew that he was able to shoot his final year at Green Bay before he transferred over, he was 14 to 38, 36.8% from behind the arc. They kept feeding it to him. Uh, Cincinnati tried to guard him mostly with Kyle Washington and a little bit of Trey Scott, who's still on the team. Uh, Washington basically didn't want any of it. Cantor made it rain all over him, and that was a pivotal point in the game for Xavier to get the, the points from him. This year, I think Jason Carter's going to fill that role. He's averaging 6.7 points and 5.6 boards. Uh, like Canner, he's off to a slow start from behind the arc. But his last year at Ohio U last year, he was 23-66 for 34.8%. He's just he's a better shooter than he's shown so far at Xavier. Uh, he's also struggled from inside the arc with X, 17-40 from two-point range. But that that's going to come around. He's missing a lot of shots around the bucket that he should be making, and he'd be the first guy to tell you that. You uh, you don't get to where Carter is without being able to make those finishes, and uh, you don't get to pull the way he does. You don't have the green light like the coaching staff has given him unless you can actually hit. Now, one of the things I was encouraged by in the Green Bay game on Wednesday was Carter's 0 for 6 from behind the arc. Obviously, the, the O of that isn't good, but the six was because he was getting looks and he didn't shy away from putting them up. I think the stroke is still there for Carter. He's something like 17, 18 from the free throw line right now. About as close as you can get to being automatic without being too Holloway. He, he hasn't forgotten how to shoot the ball. He just hasn't seen the results that he wants to see in game. I think that changes in the shootout. I think UC is going to have to choose what to give up, and I think they're going to choose to give up Jason Carter on the perimeter, and he's going to get the looks, and I think he's ready for it. I think you're going to see a big game out of Jason Carter. This is going to be his Karim Cantor moment, and it's going to start him on to a good finish for this year and, uh, of course, on to next year with his last year eligibility with Xavier. So tune in, uh, FS1, 5 o'clock. Watch Jason Carter. 
uh, have a little bit of a coming out party. You heard it here first. As John Rothstein says, buy stock now because this kid's about to take off. That's all I've got for today. Um, we'll be following along with the shootout, of course. Follow us live on Twitter. Come hang out. Should be a good game. I'm out. All right, I am here with all of my nerdy spreadsheets in front of me, getting ready to take a look at the happenings in the Big East in the last couple of weeks. And the conference, as we head toward conference play, is shaping up to be one of the best in the nation. Right now, it is ranked third in Kempom behind only the Big Ten and the Big 12. The Big East has a new top team in Kempom in the Seton Hall Pirates. Uh, they lost to Oregon in the um, first game of their exempt event, but turned around and beat Southern Miss and then picked up an impressive neutral court win against Iowa State. Their next game is this weekend in Ames against the same Iowa State Cyclones team. They then have Rutgers away in a tough test at home against Maryland before Prairie View A&M rounds out their non-conference schedule. So a few chances for the Pirates to pick up some good wins uh, between now and the beginning of Big East play. Next up is Villanova. Villanova picked up a couple wins in Big Five matchups against LaSalle and Penn. Next up, they have St. Joseph's, who's truly dreadful this year, and Delaware before they have a chance at a big win at home against the Kansas Jayhawks. That'll be their last test before uh, they host Xavier to begin conference play. So again, Jay Wright's team has a chance for another good resume win. They need to avoid big resume losses uh, against St. Joseph's and Delaware to keep on the track they're on. But they do have um, <clears throat> a couple of wins recently under their belt, and especially against Penn. Penn is a team that uh, is decent this year, and Villanova was able to put them away late. Next up is Butler, who's still undefeated. They went to a, a semi-away game in Kansas City against Missouri and knocked off the Tigers. Of course, with Missouri's recent travails in losing to Charleston Southern, that is a win that's looking less impressive for the Bulldogs as well as Xavier's win over them earlier in the season. But Butler turned around and beat Stanford then, before going to Ole Miss and winning there. They play host to Florida next, then travel to Baylor. They have Southern as their final tune-up between before they play Purdue on a neutral court. So another couple of opportunities for the Butler Bulldogs to pick up some big resume wins and keep their great start going. They are 8-0 now, and the big story for them has been Kamar Baldwin. He's having a career year. He's shooting 41% from three, 95% from the line, and is posting a 117.30 rating while using almost a third of the possessions for the Bulldogs. Next up is Marquette. Marquette has had an up-and-down time again uh, this These last couple weeks, they lost by a lot to Maryland on a neutral court after knocking off Davidson in USC. Marcus Howard in that game had one of his worst games of his college career. He um, <clears throat> totaled only five points in that contest and was not able to get things going hardly at all 
for Marquette against Maryland. He then missed their next game against Jacksonville State, which they ended up winning by 19 anyway, but he has concerns going forward with his health. He uh, missed that game with a concussion. They head to Kansas State, which is a tough game on Saturday, and they will hope they can pull off a victory without their star guard, possibly. By far, the biggest story in the Big East so far has been the DePaul Blue Demons. They hosted the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Of course, the reigning national runners-up and beat them in overtime. That came after they went to Minnesota and picked up a big win. So DePaul has shot up 25 spots in the Ken Palm ratings since the beginning of the year. They're 9-0. They seem primed for their first appearance in the NCAA tournament since the first time Dave Leto was their coach. They have home games against Buffalo and Illinois-Chicago before they travel to Cleveland State and host Northwestern to end their non-conference schedule. And certainly you think if they can hold serve at home against Buffalo this Sunday, they will at least receive some votes, if not make it into the top 25 for the first time in several years. Next up is Georgetown. Georgetown looked like a team that season was on the brink of collapse after they lost to UNC UNC Greensboro by four. They then lost two of their best players in James Akinjo and Josh LeBlanc and had two other players implicated in court documents. Then they went on the road to Stillwater and beat a top 25 team in Oklahoma State. Mac McClung, of course, was the story there, went off for 33 points. And he looks like he is going to be the guy to take Georgetown where they're going this year, if indeed they are going anywhere. And so it was a huge win for the Hoyas, possibly turned their season around, but there's still a lot to figure out there off the court as well as on it. Next is Creighton. Creighton also picked up an overtime victory over Texas Tech. I guess that's just the thing to do in the Big East this year is beat Texas Tech in overtime. They also beat Oral Roberts 72-60 at home. They have a home game against Samari Curtis's Nebraska Cornhuskers and UT Rio Grande Valley. <laughs> um, they host Oklahoma in what gives them a chance for a decent resume win and also go to Arizona State before another big crack at a resume win against Midland Lutheran at the end of December and the end of their non-conference schedule. So they have more banana peels than they have chances to improve on their resume, but still a couple shots for the Blue Jays to pick up wins that are going to matter come March time before Big East play starts. Next up is Providence, who is spiraling right now. They're 5-4 and four on the year. They lost three straight to Penn, Long Beach State, and Charleston before uh, nosing up a little bit with a victory 80-77 over Pepperdine. They have a huge game tonight against Rhode Island. It is at Rhode Island, and it is a chance for them to finally pick up a decent win their best win so far this year is Pepperdine, who's ranked 119th on Ken Palm. They have no one else in the top 100 that they've beaten, so a chance to knock off their arch-rival Rams is a chance that they cannot afford to pass up. They have a couple of 
chances against Florida and Texas to pick up resume wins, but so far they have zero. So they need to pick up at least two of those three, you think, to give themselves some life heading into Big East play. And last but not least is St. John's. St. John's has a chance for a resume win against West Virginia. Um, they really have struggled this year. They beat St. Peter's by 10 after beating Wagner by 23. Uh, they're playing at a much higher pace than they uh, did last year. And um, so that is working for some players and not for others. Mustafa Heron is shooting 50% from three. He's been tremendous this year, as has LJ Figueroa at 44% from three. But they have not been able to get a lot of production from their bench. And so we will see if they have if they are able to outlast Bob Huggins Mountaineers this Saturday and pick up a win that will breathe a little life into their season. They also host Brown and Albany before they play Arizona on a neutral court to close out non-conference play. So they do also have a couple chances to get things going before conference play begins, although with the way they've played this year, they look like long shots. Uh, both games are games that they have less than a 40% chance of winning on Kempom. So that is our Big East report for this week, and we will be back next week to take another look around the conference. Thanks for listening to our special edition of Banter on the Parkway Dispatches. Remember that the shootout tips off at 5 o'clock p.m. on Saturday on FS1. We'll see you on the other side.